All right, here we are, finally, chapter 2. All right, so just a, a little gut check. Raise your hand if you read chapter 2 this week. All right. Hey, I, I, am a, I am a proponent of having it fresh in your mind, for sure. All right, so seeking the Lord in secret. I hope that everyone had the opportunity to pray before they read, or maybe when you started reading, then you remembered, oh wait, I'm supposed to pray. Uh, we'll, we'll accept that. In the, in the teen class, we had everybody do push-ups if you didn't do that. I don't know how well that would work up here. <laughs> All right, so seeking the Lord in secret. I underlined a lot of this first section. Uh, anybody underline anything specific on this first page? First sentence? Okay, read that. Greatest danger to persistent, effective prayer is the habit of performance without passion. So, yeah, exactly. And obviously he gives a whole bunch of insight as to what this looks like uh, in this chapter being about seeking the Lord in secret. There's a mention of corporate prayer, but a lot of this is about how we pray on our own. Uh, can anybody relate to that, to uh, praying out of habit without passion? You probably all fall into that, right, at times. I think one of the biggest keys to fight things like that is to be aware of it and to not settle. I think uh, if anyone here thinks that we have, we know everything that we need to know about prayer, we're wrong. If we think we have the right attitude all the time, we're wrong. If we think that, um, you know, all of our prayers are sincere, we're likely wrong. You know, I don't want to say for sure, but other two I think I'm pretty confident on. Uh, but we should always be in a state of, reflection. The Bible tells us in so many places to examine ourselves, uh, to examine our hearts, and that's something that I think we should do regularly in regards to prayer. All right, anything else on page 33, this, this quote from John Preston? Yeah, there's so much. You know, I'm just going to read this first paragraph. There's so much good stuff in there. Now, is that old Lindy or old Bert Lindy? I forgot to see. I wasn't sure because it's old, old language. Yeah. His grammar is not always the best, I think. I'm not sure. <laughs> I would guess overtly, but I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to... Okay. Yeah. Well, we get the point from reading it, reading it though, right? All right, so let me read this first paragraph. If it is performed in a formal or customary and overly manner, you would be as good to omit it altogether. For the Lord takes our prayers not by number, but by weight, when it is an outward picture, a dead carcass of prayer, when there is no life, no fervency in it. God does not regard it. Do not be deceived in this. It is very common, a very common deception. It may be a man's conscience. Sorry, it may be a man's conscience would be upon him if he would, if he should omit it altogether. Therefore, when he does something, his heart is satisfied, and so he grows worse and worse. Therefore, consider that the very doing of the duty is not that which the Lord heeds but he will have it, have it so performed that the end may be obtained 
and that the thing for which you pray may be affected. So I guess I'll, I'll summarize it this way. Pray, our prayer without considering the implications of what you're saying and without the care necessary in what you're saying is simply words. We are called to be careful to consider what we're saying. And again, it's, it's a simple phrase, but say what you mean, mean what you say. Uh, I think even if we just reminded ourselves of that before we prayed, all right, I've got to make sure I'm not just babbling here. I'm, I'm saying things that I'm truly thinking, and yet sincere to the point that you believe God is actually listening and that he wants to answer. And I think that makes us to have to ask the question too, what types of prayers does he want to answer? And, you know, we're not there, but um, we'll talk about some specific things that we are encouraged to pray about. But we should consider that. You know, are we praying the types of things that um, glorify God? If we're not praying for the purpose of glorifying God, why are we praying? Are we praying to be heard? Are we praying to appease our conscience? Do what? No, no, no. I'm saying not just praying just to be heard. So, again, I can't think of a, a great example, but if I just walked in and said, Hi, Paul, and just kept going and didn't stop to actually talk to you and listen to you and be intentional about my words to you. <laughs> All right, I couldn't think of a good example, but you know what I'm saying. So it's the point of, you know, if you grew up and were a good Catholic, you memorized the disciples' prayer and maybe some other prayers and just recited them, and there was nothing behind it. It was mere words. So that's the idea that we're trying to avoid is not just words, but actual communion. My phone is coughing. <laughs> okay. Uh, page 34. Anything else in this quote? <laughs> right. <laughs> Are we, are we trying to fool ourselves? Are we, again, trying to appease our conscience that we went through the motions? I, I thought that was a great example of, you know, you ask somebody to, to build a fire, and, you know, they go and get some green wood and stack it for you. That's not doing <laughs> what you asked them to do. That's, that's worthless. So when we pray, and I guess this is, 
we're all going to have, based on our experiences, things that seem maybe wasteful that somebody might say in a prayer or um, things that seem, you know, like praying for so-and-so's dog, you know. Um, my big thing, and I know this, you know, everybody has their own thing, so forgive me, but the whole travel mercies thing is silly to me. Um, I think that if we stopped and considered who God is, understand how he works, understand what he desires in our lives, and actually thought through what we were saying, we would better honor God in our prayers and we would probably see more prayers answered because we were praying in such a way that gave God, and I want to be careful how I say this, they gave God the opportunity to answer those prayers in such a way that he would receive more glory. So if we say, for example, Lord, save so-and-so. Nothing wrong with saying that, right? But if we say, alternatively, Lord, I pray for the soul of so-and-so, and I pray that you would give me an opportunity to speak to them, to share the gospel with them, to talk about sin, to share my testimony. Which one is, gives, puts us in a position to see God more actively answer and act? I'm not saying he can't act with the first prayer, but by our prayers, we are positioning ourselves and I don't know how to say this, putting God in a position to where it, it's, I don't want to say more likely, um, because <laughs> I don't want to go there, right? Saying certain things in certain ways so that God is more likely to answer the prayer. But I think there is a better opportunity for him to answer that prayer based on how we pray. If we're praying lazily, we might not even see or remember in, in praying in what we asked and, and understand how he answered. Yet if we're praying specifically, if we're praying uh, for him to use us, we can actually see that and we can uh, respond with the understanding that he did that. And there, there, there's two extremes here, right? One extreme is to not praise God for anything because we know that he does everything and just... You know, it's just commonplace. And the other is to, you know, try to find every single thing that happens. And I don't want to say insincerely, but um, say, oh, God did that. God did that. Oh, God helped me find my socks. Oh, God helped me, uh, you know, get this parking spot. And just over-spiritualize every single thing that happens in our lives. The answer is somewhere in the middle, right? Understand, praying specifically, um, praying intentionally, praying carefully, using, uh, our, praying in such a way that gives God the opportunity to answer our prayers specifically so that we can glorify him in those answered prayers. What are you thinking, Paul? Internalizing <laughs> it. Right. Yeah, and and I would I would tend to agree in regards to the temporal. You know, it's it's one thing when we're praying about something where we're not even involved. That's where I I would tend to to think 
that, I don't want to say it's a wasted prayer, but how do we know if those things happen? So, yeah, make sure the nurse washes her hands and helps the doctor, you know, all that stuff. Um, But at the same time, understanding that God's answer to our prayer for somebody's salvation might involve using us, not just using somebody else. So, correct. But I'm, but I'm saying, when we're praying, pray in such a way where we can actually see God work. Not, you know, and there are exceptions to this. This is not a hard and fast rule. When we pray for the, uh, for the jewels, there are some things where we might find out that he answered one of those things specifically that we prayed for, like helping them to raise enough money to finish the building, right? We would be able to see that. Now, if we just said, Lord, bless the jewels, what's, what's there to, for God to answer? How can we even quantify that? Right, and that's that, you know, every little thing. I found my pencil, praise God. Um, so the point is, if we are, if we ask somebody to build a fire, number one, they need to know how to do it. They need to know the necessary requirements and, and how to do it. And so, in a sense, we are trying to equip ourselves to know how to do it and then to do it the right way and to do it well so that it can be quantifiably, quantifiably measured that it is done well. And that's the idea behind this book, is for us to be able to identify, to identify what it is to pray well. For the record, I didn't like this chapter. <laughs> and, and the reason I didn't like this chapter was, it goes about pointing out all the things you shouldn't do. <laughs> you know, and I was like, well, okay, I can know that. But that's so Yeah, I, I like this chapter a lot only because I think it does hit on a lot of things that are commonplace that people need to be reminded of. Yeah. Any other thoughts on page 34 or in this quote by John Preston? It's just as much for God's benefit as it is for my benefit because if all I ever pray is, like you said, God bless the jewels, then it's like, well, how is he blessing them? I don't know how he's blessing them. Is he really blessing them? Whereas it's like if I pray specifically, then I'm getting to see his specific hand at work answering my specific prayers. And I can then look back and go, well, he answered this and he answered this and then remember everything that he's done. Right. Tina. Even if it doesn't come to you right then, you just never know when it just might. You know, you just don't ever know. Absolutely. And, and don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that prayer, if it isn't done perfectly, isn't useful. Because ultimately it does come down to our hearts. So... You know, not to put Trent on the spot here, last, but last week, you know, I just assumed that, you know, we broke, out, broke off in groups, and I was like, all right, I'll start, and then you go, and then you go, and Trent was like, uh, I'm not used to this, dude. <laughs> and, you know, when he ended up praying, Nothing he said was wrong. He prayed perfectly fine. He prayed from his heart, you know, as far as I could tell. And there, it, was, it was great. But there's still some apprehension, right? And it's like, uh, I don't know what to say. And I think most of us have been there, unless we grew up in the church, you know, maybe, if, maybe even if you grew, in the, grew up in the church, but that first time you're asked to pray publicly, you know, around people that you don't know very well. 
Pastor. So bottom of 34, I think this kind of goes with the previous one. It says the duty is effectually performed when your hearts are wrought upon by it and when they're brought to a better tune and temper than they were before, which ties in a little bit to being specific, but it also ties into the uh, a bunch of things. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're doing it in an empty way. You're just saying words. You don't really expect them to happen. Right. And then along right. the same lines, um, if about all these different aspects of prayer later, but if there's elements of things like confession and um, uh, like thanks or whatever we want, whatever word we want to use, if there's those elements in it as well, then our hearts are stirred after it. And when our prayer is just, here's the list of things I want you to fix for me today, God as opposed to, here's what's wrong with me that I need to talk to you about, and, and I need your help with changing me spiritually, and here are the things I'm amazed at that are true about you, God. When those things are part of prayer, then I think our hearts are wrought upon or affected by prayer in a different way. And if we've just gone down through a list, and we can say, okay, I talked about all the things on my list, I'm done. Because we don't treat other relationships that way. Exactly. Well, sometimes we do, and then they don't go well. <laughs> right. So. Rob? I want to be careful not to use the examples you're using here as a bicycle a little bit. But I, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on this, too. But, um, like, I drive a lot, and if I have a situation, I might thank God for protecting me at that moment. Or maybe it wasn't crisis moments, but so on and so forth. But if I shared that, with someone, and they said, well, that's not a significant enough prayer, because your prayer has to be significant, and it should follow, then I get concerned with that works-based construct of what prayer is, because my construct of prayer is going to be different than the next person. I may value those small, simple little prayers, but maybe they're not huge and significant, or, you know, somehow the right vocabulary Let me give you an example. So, sure. Yeah, let me give you an example. Um, after finishing this book, I came to a few conclusions. One of the conclusions that I came to was if we are, and this, it's said multiple times, multiple ways in this chapter, if we are praying lazily, it is not only that it's not effectual, it's dishonoring. No, no, so... Yeah, I'm not saying... So, if you're driving a lot and you say, you know, Lord, people are crazy drivers, please help me to not get into an accident. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, all right, um, the Hesslers are going to Florida. 
Lord, give them travel mercies. And that's it. Well, again, I'll always come back to... I'll always come back to the fact that the heart is what ultimately matters, right? Because if a five-year-old is praying and they're just pouring out their heart you know, God, forgive me, and they don't know what else to say. (laughs) There's no criticism for a heartfelt prayer, okay? What I'm saying is we have to become more informed to understand who God is so that we can pray better. We are responsible. God, it's not not like um, God saves us and just says, approach me however you want to. There is an element when we're younger and we don't know how to approach God that we fumble through it. And again, my, my point is not either that at some point we will be able to do this perfectly and do it perfectly every time. That's not the point either. The point is, if we consider that every single thing that happens to us on this earth is for the purpose of drawing us and others closer to God, then instead of praying for travel mercies, we will pray, Lord, we appreciate the safe travel, though we prioritize opportunity to be a testimony for you. We look forward to enjoying our time, though we hope even more so that we will have an opportunity to share the gospel. It's a more informed prayer based on who God is, who he saved us to be, and what he's doing. So that's what I'm saying. So not questioning anybody's heart, but hopefully this causes each of us to question ourselves more than questioning others. Absolutely. I mean, I was driving home today, and I mean, this happened to me actually yesterday, too. Man, this morning, actually, when I was going, I, was, I had to go downtown. We had a meeting at the Fox Theater, and driving during rush hour traffic at 7.30 in the morning, going down to Detroit, wow, people are crazy. And there were a few times I had to ask God to forgive me uh, for my initial response, at least in my mind. Obviously, they, they couldn't hear or see anything. Um, but then also, you know, this one guy got so mad, he zoomed around me and almost hit me to get in front of me. And after I asked God to forgive me for my initial thought, I said, wow, that was really close. Lord, thank you that he didn't hit me. So absolutely, we praise God for those things and we thank him for those things. And I didn't pray about it. So I think the point is just that we should... But that was a prayer. We're thanking God as a prayer. No, but I, I didn't 
pray beforehand. But I saw his hand in it regardless. And so I share with you guys, hey, this guy almost knocked me off the road. That would have been a really bad start to the day. Uh, so praise God with me for that. You know? <laughs> so, huh? Probably, uh, that'd be tough. Well, depending on the outcome, right? Yeah. So I had a couple quick thoughts about what you are talking about. So I think maybe, and I could be wrong if I'm misreading what you're saying, Rob, correct me, but I, I feel like when we say something like inform, we think that we get to this certain tipping point of knowledge about God and then prayer just sort of falls in place. And I know that's not what you're saying, but... So in the context of human relationships, our relationship with God is not a human relationship, but there are parallels. Uh, most of the glue that happens in relationships is the daily conversations about mundane things. What the kids threw up, what are we going to do about it? Like all those sorts of things. And I think that we should have a readiness to take even those seemingly unimportant things to God. But then on the other hand, I think the more that we draw close to God, and it's not just a knowledge thing, but but actually draw closer to God in terms of heart and life and all of who we are, then our prayers about those mundane things start to sort of change their focus. So maybe at some point in your walk with God, your prayer is, God, make my kids stop throwing up because I'm tired of cleaning it up, right? And then later on, your prayer is, God, help them to get better so they're not miserable. And then maybe later on, your prayer is, they've really been struggling with obedience and with understanding who you are. Teach them something about who you are by how I'm responding to them in this situation, even if it takes a week, right? And so, exact same response, relatively mundane, everyday occurrence of life, but the nature of prayer shifts if we are actually meaningfully connected to God and the more that we practice it. I think that's maybe some of what he's getting at. Like he talks about if you admit it all together, you're profane and you perform it zealously into purpose, you're a holy man on page 35. But a hypocrite goes between both. He does something, but he does it half-heartedly. He has this sense of, oh, bad thing happened, good thing happened. I'm supposed to say something to God just blurts out the first thing that came through his head without thinking about it at all. And and um, he says a little bit later, remember still you must perform it in such a manner that it has heat and life in it that it may be acceptable to God. The closer that we draw to God, the more that we know who God is and, and are connected with him, then our prayers are going to start to take the shape of what you were saying earlier, things that he is likely to say yes to because they're his purposes for our lives. Yeah, absolutely. It's, there's a process. And if we, are, if we are approaching God in prayer, thoughtlessly, carelessly, there's no growth. There's no ultimate purpose. It's you know, going through the motions that have no end result. But if our heart is right, we will continue to examine our hearts and to consider our words. And as we grow in our understanding of who God is and how he is and what he wants our prayers are naturally going to change as we pray sincerely. So, yes, it's, it's not something that you get saved and automatically can do well. It's the intent behind it. It's the heart behind it that ultimately is going to have an impact on what you're saying, how you're saying it, and what the, the net result is in God doing it. I mean, I don't remember if we talked about this, but uh, a buddy of mine, my buddy in, in Texas that I've been praying for, he said, I've been praying. I said, good, but I want you to understand something. The first prayer God hears from somebody is that confession of their sin and repentance. So I appreciate the fact that you're praying, but God's not hearing you until you get right with him. And he was like, oh, wow. <laughs> and 
you know, if somebody has other thoughts on that, fine. But God doesn't, isn't inclined to listen to us if we're not trusting in him. So uh, that's my, that was my two cents to him. Tina? my point to him was you're just saying words until you get right with him and I think even Christians can fall into that we're just saying words and that might be evidence that we're not right with him or that we don't understand him which I think is one of the main reasons well it's one of the reasons that instances like this is a necessary aspect of a Christian's life to talk through these things, to consider these things, because I don't know how much we might consider if it's just us, if there isn't that fellowship, if there isn't that um, discussion, if there isn't that teaching and preaching and opportunity to consider these things. Tina? Right, well, I, I guess, think about it this way. This is the first image that came to my mind. If one of your children comes to you and you give them a list of five things to do, they didn't do any of them, but they confessed that they didn't do three of them, and they forgot that they didn't do the other two, but they're truly confessing, are you going to say, hey, you didn't confess those other two, you little brat? <laughs> no, you're going to understand Right, and I, I think not uh, not bringing God down to our level, but I think when we are sincere, God understands that, and especially if we confess, Lord, I don't even remember everything that I've done. Help me to see more clearly. I mean, in my opinion, we should be praying every day for ourselves and for others that God would help us to see the sins that so easily beset us. That we would have a right view of our sin and that others in our church and our family would have a right view of sin so that we would be fighting it individually and corporately or jointly, however you want to look at that. All right, any other thoughts on the John Preston quote? All right, so page 36. Do you have something else? Okay, all right, page 36. He uh, is jumping into a a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you have uh, an electronic book. All right, Pastor? I felt like it was thought-provoking when he talks about Things that we think of as obvious sin. Uh, there's somebody who's drunk, there's somebody who's a murderer, there's somebody who just stole something. Obviously, that's sin. But then we don't see the, there's probably a clearer word than this, but like the insidious nature of sin, how it creeps into every corner of our lives until we're trying to pray really seriously about something with God and uh, an image of lust or C.S. Lewis said it this way, if we can get as 
person to worship their concept of God instead of God himself is one. Right. And the most distressing thing for us is when uh, a human prays a prayer like, God, help me to worship you as you are, not as I'd like to see you be pleased, something like that. And that's just really hard for us to work with those concepts. Yeah, there, uh, there, one guarantee for certain in a Christian's life, the more... The, the closer you draw to God, the more acutely aware you are of your own sin. That is an absolute certainty. The more aware you are of other people's sin than your own, I would say the further away from that fellowship with God you, you have. So, the first one I'm certain on, the second one I'm pretty sure. All right. <laughs> if we can't see the log in our own eye, we most likely uh, are not walking rightly. Our first, our highest sensitivity, there's a great quote, I know I have it in my phone someplace, but I'm not going to take time to look it up. We should have a, a greater awareness of our own sin than the sin of others. It's not that we ignore other people's sin, but when we, you know, like, like, you, like he uses an example, right? You see the person drunk or, um, you know, in obviously, uh, obvious sinful situations, uh, a prostitute or a drug addict or whatever, and you see them and immediately you think, oh man, they're a sinner. If, if there isn't that gut check of the Holy Spirit saying, whoa, buddy, look at yourself. You kind of have to question, you know, how close are you walking with God right now? And I do absolutely believe as we grow closer to God, it's not that we see that person and don't understand that they're a sinner, but we are able to pause and say, Lord, get a hold of that person's heart. I know, apart from your grace, I might be the same way. And Lord, if there's an opportunity for me to help, give me that opportunity. Give me courage. Give me wisdom to, uh, to do something. So we should be more acutely aware of our own sin is the, the primary point. Tina? <laughs> you know, but don't let me, how does it go? Go ahead. Are you talking about when he said, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like this man? Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the tax collector. Yes. His eyes were completely off his own sin. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Great example of what it looks like when you're not really close to God. Unless it's forgive me for me and my. <laughs> well, and I really appreciate how, and he, he touches on it a little bit in this chapter, gives a little tease of the different aspects of what should be in our prayers. And that's the ideal situation, right? When we have the, have the time to pray and um, not rush through. Obviously, we've talked about the fact that there are different places we pray, different times, different uh, atmospheres, uh, all of those different things. The way we would pray in a group uh, is going to be different than the way we pray maybe by ourselves. Is going to be different than the way we pray while we're driving. Those things are all going to be a little bit different uh, in length, in focus, you know, all of these things, again, I think the, 
the encouragement or the instruction is whenever possible to consider these things that they are right and that God has told us to do. I mean, in and of itself, this prayer that we'll get to um, is Jesus' instruction as to how to pray. And he, understand, he doesn't say, pray this prayer. He says, pray this way, right? So he is giving us a, an example of the different types of things that we should include in our prayer. Though again, God is an understanding God, and if we're walking down the street and don't have the ability to stop and consider all of these facets, he's not going to be mad at us because we forgot this one aspect of this sample prayer and we didn't include that. That being said, when we do have the time, we should be thoughtful enough, we should be intentional, we should be growing in our understanding so that we can pray in these ways, these types of things. All right, anyone underline anything in the Martin Lloyd-Jones quotes or shortly thereafter, page 36 or 37? Okay. The whole thing? Or just the first part? <laughs> all right, go ahead and read that, Jonathan. Sin leads us to take shortcuts in all the Christian disciplines, and when we succumb to its temptations often enough, hypocrisy becomes the pattern of our lives without our realizing it. Because hypocrisy is such a subtle and destructive danger to vital Christian living, our Lord was quick to condemn its many adherents. Yeah, and I don't know... I don't want to say hypocrisy is one of those uh, respectable sins, though it is one of those sins that we don't really talk about very often. And if we understand, the better we understand who God is, the better we understand our own sinfulness, the more likely we will be to recognize our own hypocrisy and realize the mercy that God has shown us and be willing to show that mercy to others. If anyone here is not a hypocrite, you can leave. All right, nobody got up. We all have our times, right? We all, Unfortunately, and it's not bragging, it's just the fact that we are selfish and we are hypocritical. And I, <clears throat> I don't know if everybody knows this. The word for hypocrite is the uh, Greek word for an actor. So somebody who is playing a part. Somebody who is playing a role that is not themselves. It's good to consider. When we are playing a part, when we are acting... A, in a way that is not our true self, we are being a hypocrite. Now, that doesn't mean, well, I'm a sinner, so I need to go the full extent of my sinfulness. You understand what I'm saying here. (laughs) All right, anything else on page 37 or leading into the Jewish perspective on prayer? Do I have an extra book? Uh, I think. Yeah, those ebooks. All right, so the Jewish perspective on prayer. Anyone have anything underlined? All right, we'll get there in a second. So I underline the last sentence there. The rabbis rightly believed prayer was not only communication with God, but also a mighty weapon that released his power. 
I know, well, I would say that, you know, in charismatic circles, they pray in a way that at least um, with their words talks about God's power in things. And I think, rightly to a certain extent, we are not so quick to talk so much about claiming certain things. Um, and yet, we should realize it is, he is powerful and he does answer prayers. And, you know, and I, I think about George Mueller. So, <clears throat> If we took Daniel as an example and said, if we prayed like Daniel and prayed in faith like Daniel, God could do some of those same things. Now, I don't think any of us would say that's not possible. We might say it's not likely, right? Because God was working in a certain way at that time and we would probably be hesitant to put ourselves in a lion's den. He didn't put himself there, but you know what I mean. And yet, we see George Mueller, if you haven't read the book, he prayed faithfully, fervently, frequently, and God did amazing things. Like, unbelievable things. And this was post-New Testament. So, hopefully that causes us to consider... One, is it possible for God to do amazing things through our prayers? We have to acknowledge yes if we understand Scripture. Number two, what's the difference between somebody like George Mueller and me? Why isn't he answering my prayers? And I think what it comes down to is partly our faith in his power, but partly our, our communion with him how our prayers and it's not the words it's his heart it's it's his faith it's the fact that he lived by his convictions i mean he made that decision early on we will not take an offering and you know we're not told to do that but i believe god inspired him to do that and through that in and of itself to never ask for donations or take a collection, and yet the amount of money that he raised, the lives that he touched, we can only, um, only dream that God would use us for something like that, and yet he could. Why isn't he? And I think part of it is because we don't um, see prayer as a mighty weapon to release God's power. That's at least one of the reasons, I believe. All right, the essence of their understanding. Yeah, thank God for that, huh? That he doesn't get tired of either our, our asking or our confessing. Yeah. Have you guys heard the stoplight example? You know, you pull up to a stoplight, especially if it's a busy intersection, you've got anywhere from dozens to hundreds of people there, and God's acutely aware of just to just consider that stoplight. God is acutely aware of every single person, where they're at in their life, where they've been, where they're going, what they're thinking, what they're praying, and that's only one intersection all across the world. And God is not limited by any of those things. It's uh, it's quite overwhelming and and uh, praiseworthy to consider. 
All right, anything else? Uh, page 38, 39. Page 38 or 39. So it goes into the elements of prayer. Not in my formal praying mode, so I can't be praying to God. Where in fact, the churches are thinking that worship is conversation. Absolutely, and again, that's it's that if we understand prayer as communion, it is an active, ongoing relationship with our Creator, with our Father, with our Lord. say something? Yeah. Okay, not yet. Hold that thought. All right, anybody else underline anything on 39? So we've got long praise, gratitude, and thanksgiving, reverence, patient obedience. And so let me, I guess I'll just say this. These are elements when we have the opportunity that should be in our prayers that we should be considering, you know, if our prayer is just a grocery list, Lord, I need this and this and this and this and this, amen. Now, is it possible that our heart could be sincere in that? Um, It's possible, right? But again, as we grow and as we understand more about who God is and how he is and who we are, we need to understand that prayer is more than reading grocery lists. We should be praising Him. We should be grateful and giving thanksgiving, considering those things that we saw Him do throughout the day that we specifically prayed for or not. Take time to recognize those things. There should be reverence. Again, we're not approaching God like this, the world approaches him as, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend or the big guy upstairs, that is irreverence. That is not who God is. Uh, And then that patient obedience. Yes. So I would say, ideally, in a perfect world, we would wake up and we would praise God immediately and we would come to Him in prayer upon waking, thanking Him, praising Him, asking for His guidance throughout the day. That would be in a perfect world, absolutely. Though I would never say every prayer should start off with praise because He doesn't say that. In the example, there is opportunity for praise, and I think that there is precedence for having that praise earlier in the prayer. At the same time, it's not like, you know, maybe you just yelled at somebody, and, you know, instead of going right into praise, you say, Lord, I'm a schmuck, please forgive me. I know you are a great God, and I am not reflecting what I should be in being your child. So, you know what I'm saying? That's a, it's a natural uh, response to our own sin. I didn't, you know, after yelling, say, you know, El Shaddai, 
You are the Lord God Almighty. I had to get that confession out first. You understand what I'm saying? So I wouldn't say that every prayer has to start off with praise, but I would acknowledge if we acknowledged his praiseworthiness earlier in our prayers, um, I think that would be beneficial both for our mindset as we continue to pray and uh, ultimately for his glory. Because consider this. I don't know that... I know God knows the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. I don't think uh, angels and demons know our thoughts. However, if we're praying out loud, guess what? Angels and demons hear our prayers. So there are opportunities for us to be a witness in our prayers and a testimony for who God is and what he's done in our lives when we're praying out loud and when we're living. And we are a a living testimony to this world, yes, but also to the spiritual realm as to the work that God is doing. So when we sin, both sides see it. And yet when we obey, both sides see it. And there's an element of God being praised when we do the right things, even when no one else is around. Norma. <laughs> well, you know, instances like that, we probably all have some type of story. I know I remember one time I wasn't feeling very well and my cat was coming over and my cat would always get in my face and I said, Lord, please, I, I can't handle the cat right now. And the cat walked away. And I was like, thank you, Lord. You know, so... <laughs> What did you say? I said I thought you were going to say the cat died. <laughs> but there are these times, right, where these, these little things, we pray for them, and they, you know, you, you might, if you didn't pray, you would chalk it up to coincidence, right? But it, it's definitely opportunity to pray and praise God, for sure. All right. Anything else anybody underline anything or thoughts on loving praise gratitude reverence patient obedience in our prayer and these things that should be elements okay page 40 we have confession unselfishness yes oh oh my <laughs> You guys good till nine? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm awake now. If you guys don't know, I was taking a nap up until 6.59 in the car. Right. <laughs> okay, so we'll start on page 40 then next week. And um, so reread the chapter so it's fresh in your mind. And see if there's anything else that jumps out on page 40 and beyond. I'm sorry, uh, confession. Patient obedience is end of 39 into 40 and then confession. So right around that, that point. All right, let's pray. Father.
you are a great God. We know this through your word and through the experience of your work in us, both at times where we are praying specifically and times where we might not have prayed at all. It is a great blessing to know that you care and that you are always at work. Thank you for those little prayers, for answering those, and for those big ones. Thank you for the work of your Spirit in saving the lost. Thank you for the sanctifying work in believers. Lord, please give us the right desire to pray in a way that honors you and that allows you, from our perspective, to answer those prayers and receive more praise from us and others. Thank you, Father, for being great, for being good, for being patient and kind and merciful. Please change our hearts so that we would better reflect Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us to be like the moon reflecting the sun, to be clear, to be bright, to be useful. Lord, as you will, what you will, when you will.